there is goodness in everybody. I do believe that. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Madeleine Black. Madeleine was introduced to us by Jackie Handy from show number 173. The sharing of her story publicly on the Forgiveness Project's website in September 2014 opened many doors for Madeleine in ways she never imagined and the invitations started to pour in. Many women and men got in contact and explained how reading her story gave them strength hope and a different perspective of what's possible in their lives. She's taken part in both TV and radio interviews and has been invited to share her story of being gang raped as a teenager at conferences, book events, schools, etc. She recognises that she was a victim of a crime that left her silent for many years but has now found her voice and intends to use it, not just for her but for so many who can't find theirs yet. In March 2018, she won the Amazing Strength Award at the number one magazine, Amazing Women Awards, and in October of the same year was asked to be the patron for Say Women, a Scottish organisation which offers safe accommodation and support to young women who are survivors of sexual abuse slash rape and who are homeless. She is one of 50 thrivers taking part in research by the Global Resilience Project to develop a resilience blueprint for others, She is a TEDx speaker, a storyteller for the Forgiveness Project, and has recently become involved with their programme, Restore, sharing her story in prisons. In June 2020, she was asked to be Patron for Justice Is Now, an organisation that campaigns to end the use of rape myths and victim blaming in the criminal justice system. Her memoir, Unbroken, was published on April 4th, 2017, and she continues to work as a psychotherapist. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Madeleine Black. Welcome Madeleine, thanks for joining me. Thank you, thanks for being, thanks for inviting me. Lovely, so start by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do and crucially where you do it. Well I am a speaker, I'm an author and I am a psychotherapist and I really speak out to end the silence surrounding sexual violence. I share my own personal story to help others find their courage and their voice too and before COVID, I was speaking all over the world, but currently I've been doing a lot of Zoom talks and a few in person, but not many. Mm-hmm. And where are you based? I am based in Glasgow. I'm a Londoner living up in Scotland. And so normally would you work from home, albeit then travelling to do all your speaking? No, <laughs> this is all <laughs> new to me. Um, I would normally be travelling all over the place and I worked in the centre of Glasgow in the counselling centre for a long time, for about um, 12 years. So, yeah, it's quite new, all this work in our home stuff. Yes, yes. And how did it all come about? And, and you know, I guess there's there's a, a story there from what you've already said, um, but also presumably it's been a, a bit of a 
development as well because what you're doing now does fit with by the sounds of it what you were already doing but obviously with a a, a sort of um I guess a, a trauma scenario somewhere in there as well so how did you end up doing what you do now well uh, it was about six years ago and I shared my story with an organization called the forgiveness project which is based in London my story went live on their website which was the first time I had ever shared my story in really publicly ever it took me about 35 years to share it wow. and from there it just kind of went viral and just really opened so many doors for me and you know I've been invited to radio tv there were newspaper articles magazine articles and I wrote my book and it just Every time I was asked to speak, somebody in the audience would then ask me to go and speak elsewhere. And I used to call myself an accidental speaker. It just kind of, you know, happened. I didn't intend to be a speaker, but I realized that I can stand on the stage and share my story, which is one of sexual violence. And it almost feels like it's a duty. If I can do that, then I should to really help end the shame, the stigma and the silence for other people. Mm -hmm. So I've got so many questions coming through my head at this precise moment. So let's start with... What did you do before? Well, as I said, I was a psychotherapist for about 12 years. Before that, I worked with Women's Aid for about 14 years. I was a volunteer at Rape Crisis. And even before that, I was a makeup artist for a long time. So quite contrastingly different. Yes, yes. And did the um, the positions where you were sort of helping people, did that come out of your own experience, even though you hadn't? Yeah, it did. I was obviously yet. always interested in organizations that help women that were fleeing abuse or violence um I hadn't actually shared my story yet but it was obviously always in my heart I wanted Mm. to help other women going through that to let them know that they can get through it Mm -hmm. so what changed what happened six years ago you as you say stood up and, and spoke about it publicly for the first time what how did that come about I guess it was a process, you know, I'd, I'd done a few magazine articles, newspaper articles, and they'd asked to put my name or my my photo, and I said no. So I was always one of these women that had written an article, but it was one of these silhouetted black photographs. Yeah. And when eventually, you know, I just got tired of being ashamed, uh, ashamed for a crime that was committed against my body. It was nothing to do with me. It was down to the two men who decided to gang rape me when I was just 13. So I just got tired of holding on to inappropriate shame for years. And the only way I could end that shame was to step into it and show people that I really don't care who knows about what happened to me anymore. Hmm. So that that day, I'm just intrigued. Did you turn up to talk about something else? <laughs> had you planned to do it? How, how did no, this, uh, had, this was actually shared online on a website. Right. And from that, somebody then asked me to go speak and share my story. So the first time I spoke in public was at a festival of light. It was at uh, Keele University. So I, I very much knew what I was going to speak about. Yeah. And I didn't really plan it, to be honest. I just, you know, trusted that I would know the words when they came to me, which was maybe not so great now, looking back on reflection. But it was fine. I, I sat down, which I don't normally do now when I talk, and halfway through, the fire alarm went off. But actually, it was fine. I opened my mouth and the words came to me, thankfully. The words came out and I I saw the impact that it had on the audience. And at the end of every event, whenever I speak, people will always share their own story with me and that happens straight away and that really just motivated me I guess to carry on. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine sadly that's probably quite a lot of people. Sadly my story is not uncommon, my story is the story of many many men and women on this planet and children somewhere every day that somebody will be abused or raped. Mm-hmm. So yeah my story mm-hmm. is very common. 
Mm. Um, so without wishing to steal your thunder, because this is what you speak about <laughs> elsewhere anyway, um, could you tell us a bit about about what you what happened, how, how you explain the story? How I explain the story when I speak? Yes, yes. And well, I don't really hold back. I just say how it was because I don't believe, you know, we should be, um, I don't want to traumatise my audience, but I don't want to make it easier for them to digest either. It was interesting, actually, I got involved in a conversation today on Facebook on whether there should be triggers in books. So when I wrote my memoir on Broken, my publishers decided in the chapter that I call all of one night, which explains all the details. They thought it was too much for people to read and they put this great big trigger warning. You know, if you read further on this, we'll go into details about that night, blah, blah. And I think, well, I didn't get a trigger warning when I was 13 years old, you know? I had no warning this was gonna happen to me. And it's, how can we protect people all the time if we want them to know what goes on? So I do say it as it is, but I don't traumatize people because I also then show them that I am the victor in my life. I have not just triumphed over adversity. You know, I have jumped forward, not just jumped back from what happened to me because really the end of my story is that I chose to forgive them, which was, I guess, nothing to do with them, but it really was something that set me free. And I, you know, I just refused to be identified by what had happened to me. So even though my story is one of pain and trauma, it's also one of finding your courage, your resilience and your strength, which is really my message for other people to give them hope as well. Mm, that's interesting because it's sort of the whole trigger thing is sort of that happens when you haven't done what you sound like you've done. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's unresolved stuff that, that triggers. Absolutely. And, and we, how can we prepare for every single trigger event if somebody's reading a book or watching a film we don't know what people's triggers are you know you can close the book or turn the film off um, and I also think if we're getting triggered I'm a psychotherapist as well then it's actually our mind is showing us where the work still is this is this is exactly where you need to do the work it's not easy and I have had a lot a lot of therapy uh, but it is very possible to heal and have a great life mm. and had you had a lot of that therapy leading up to what you do now I guess you must yes, have oh, I've had time. <laughs> yeah. a lot of talking therapy and I've also had a lot of kind of alternative therapy a lot of body therapy because the trauma very much gets trapped in our cells which is why we get triggered you know mm. a, a, a sound a smell a sight these can trigger things which shows you that it is not just coming from our mind a, a trigger is a feeling really it's not a memory which why, is why it's so powerful, because it takes us straight back to an event. And it's why it's so visceral, because we really do feel it as if we're right back there at that age. So, yeah, they're, they're hard to deal with. But the trick is to really ground yourself and not fight it, which is easier said than done, I know. Yes. Yeah. So as you started to speak, you got invited. You said you're sort of a, an accidental speaker. Did you mm -hmm. how did you then sort of turn it into to a business and, and create that sort of... Well, I realised I was getting asked to speak more and more and I looked at the two things that I really did. One was working as a psychotherapist and one was speaking and I thought, I can't do both now. It's getting too much. So I had to make a decision, which was about a year and a half ago. Maybe it wasn't the best timing, obviously, since March 2020. But I decided I would work as a speaker. And that was really, I think, December uh, 2018 I had this thought and I thought you know if I'm meant to be a speaker then I would like a sign that this is meant to be I, I do like signs I believe that life does support me in some way 
And so I asked myself if I meant to be a speaker, then I would love to work internationally. And I thought, you know, this is never going to work. But I woke up literally on January the 1st with an invitation to go speak at a convention in Johannesburg with a professional speaking association in South Africa. And then on the 5th of January, I had my first paid uh, international event, and that was to speak for UNICEF at a, a convention in the Maldives. Wow. And I thought, OK, well, this is a good sign. <laughs> I'm going to take this as a good sign. <laughs> yeah, so that was why I decided this is my destiny or this is my path, really. That was such a great sign. Most professional speakers have not spoken in the Maldives, I would suggest. <laughs> it, it, well, I have to say it was rather lovely. <laughs> <laughs> So we're sort of working at a different time, as, as we've already said, with the, the pandemic and, um, you know, all that sort of brought. But how, how do you what do your days normally look like? And maybe we've got a, a before and after <laughs> version. Well, uh, there's a lot more Zoom and I have to be really careful that I don't do too much Zoom because I could definitely get Zoomed out. But obviously, like most people in the speaking world, most of my speaking events have been cancelled or postponed for this year. So my diary was really busy to not very busy at all. So I've done a lot of uh, webinars. I'm invited on to radio and I've you know done things like that. But actually, as of today, I've recorded my own episode of my own podcast series called Unbroken, the podcast with me. And I just had a calling, you know, a feeling that I should do something because I'm so lucky in my journey. I have met the most incredible people. I have, I'm a storyteller for the Forgiveness Project and I'm also involved in research with another organization called the Global Resilience Project. And Emma, who heads that one up, has taken 50 thrivers, she calls us, from all over the world. And she's interviewed us and she's researched what do we do that makes us thrive. And she's come up with nine secrets to thriving. So, you know, I have access to all these amazing people. So I really believe in the power of sharing stories. And I think if a story is heard at the right time for someone, it has the power to be transformative. So I want to give these people voices to offer hope to other people. Mm. Um, can I ask a bit about forgiveness? You mentioned before that that's one thing that you have done in terms of, of those those men that you talked about. And you yeah. just mentioned it now with the forgiveness project. You said it was important. What, how, how does that happen? Why is it important? Is it something that not everyone... It's yeah. not important for anyone else apart from myself. You know, people will say, you can't tell me to forgive. And I'm not a forgiveness preacher. I don't tell people that they have to forgive, you know, in order to move on. But my eldest daughter was 13, the same age that I was. And it triggered many, many memories for me. And I went back to therapy again. The last time actually I was in therapy and near to the end, my therapist just made the suggestion uh, which just sent me on this journey of inquiry. He said, you know, maybe they weren't born rapists. And I was at first outraged because, you know, I thought they were evil, sadistic animals and I wanted something similar to happen to them so they would, you know, understand exactly the impact. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, we're all born blank sheets. We all come into the world the same. And I really wondered what they had experienced to make them choose that yeah that that night and I realized that you know when they were dehumanizing me they're only dehumanizing themselves and I, I felt compassion in my heart towards them which really took me by surprise because I wanted to hate them forever but when I was filled with hate and revenge they would have had no idea I was literally handing all my power over to them by filling myself with hate and you know it wasn't impacting on them in any way it was only harming me and my husband and my kids and my friends 
So I made the choice to forgive and it is a choice and it really just cut the ties that chained me to them and it cut the, you know, it just cut any ties that really stopped my own personal growth because it kept me back in the past. And forgiveness for me is really, it's about understanding that we get conditioned by life, that, you know, we get corrupted and that actually essentially there is goodness in everybody. I do believe that. I do believe when I've looked at babies that I've I've never seen an evil baby. You know, when you look at a young baby that we're all born a blank sheet. But forgiveness, ultimately, it, it was my key to freedom. It just set me free. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. So your life's changed a bit with, with the pandemic and lots more Zoom and everything else. On the basis that you're now... Um, working from home uh you're mm-hmm. on zoom a lot more uh you're not you haven't got that traveling thing going on how do you integrate your business life and, and your work life a lot of people are currently saying that they they can't stop it and they keep working and <laughs> their life is full of work <laughs> I, you know when it comes to the like five six o'clock the evening then that is my evening i really will try not to do any talks or any be involved in any webinars or any zooms unless it's somewhere you know, overseas, like if it's Australia or something and yeah. or whatever, there's only there's no other way around it. But I really don't work at the weekend and, and I take good care of myself. You know, I recognize that self-care is not selfish. It's really important. I learned that the hard way. And so yeah, I have limited hours that I work. I will really not do too many Zooms per day, maybe one or two. And I just kind of try to balance everything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because a lot of um well there could be a lot of things that happen sort of evenings and weekends that that people sort of ask you for but it really does come down to just setting what your boundaries are and then know what you can say yes or or no to whereas I think sometimes people just say yes to anything and then end up with their (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's something like years ago I decided that I didn't want to work evenings and weekends and I do some coaching for people in Australia and obviously some of the hours work and some of them don't and every time they ask me to take somebody else on I just say only if they can work in the day <laughs> and they obviously <laughs> probably think I'm a bit inflexible and it's like no I don't want to work evening so I'm not going to it's Absolutely. fine <laughs> and I'm the same I don't apologize I say this is my calendar and this is when I'm free if it suits it's great and if it's not I will try to find a way but it, you know sometimes it's not always possible mm-hmm. and I'd imagine the sort of thing that you're you're sharing for this some of the places you're sharing it for are probably more flexible to be fair because you have such a compelling story and if they want you they want you they've just got to make it work haven't they yeah yeah I mean you people are, are great actually obviously you know during the pandemic people are a lot more flexible and for me what's actually the good thing that's come out of it is that we don't need to be perfect anymore you know I was always trying before to be so perfect but it's actually taught me to really let go you know if my dog barks which he did this morning in the middle of a podcast or if the amazon delivery man rings the door but it's okay <laughs> if i'm sitting here in my doggy bottoms which i am at the moment and my slippers that's okay as well it doesn't really matter anymore because we're all doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah i had a call the other day and it was i thought it was our organizing team for a, a seminar uh series that's kicking off next week but it turned out that they'd invited a couple of speakers without realizing they'd been invited because we we changed the meetings around so there was all a big confusion so two speakers turned up and I was sitting there in my pyjamas <laughs> because it was 11 o'clock at night. So I normally would be in my pyjamas, but nice. any time we could meet. <laughs> but as you say, nobody batted an eyelid. I did reassure them that I won't be turning up in front of the hundreds of uh, people watching in my pyjamas next week, though. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> 
So um, what about how you get things done? What sort of tools and apps and um, to-do lists and the like do you use? Are you a... I realise I'm not very techie. I've only just today set up Calendly, which is was great. But then I realised every meeting had to have the same uh, time slots and I didn't do that. So somebody just sent me a link and it was like, oh, I can't do that. Why is that gone there? So I had to go in and rejig it all. So once it's up and running, it, I'm sure it'll be a help. But at the moment, I can't get it to go into my diary on my phone. So these things, sometimes I think I'm just better with pen and paper. I know it's a bit old fashioned, but uh, I, I do have some apps, but not many. I don't really use too many things to help me out. I'm just, uh, it's just me by myself, really. Um, so yeah, not very technologically minded. I don't really have a newsletter. People can sign up to my my website and my podcast, but that's really about it. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned that, that you've written a book. How did you get that done it's something that lots of people want to do and and don't get round to doing yeah, you know I made the decision to write my story uh the the idea just came to me when I before I had really found my voice somebody suggested to me to write my story down I'd been going to see a teacher for many many years and he just 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 put down all the details from that night and that really took me about four years to write 12 pages a long time and then there was a forgiveness project event up in Glasgow which is unusual they're mostly in London so I went along and there was a woman called Marion Partington whose sister Lucy was murdered by Rose and Fred West the serial killers and when I heard her speak I just saw this piece that emanated from her and the impact telling her story had on the audience you know the founder of forgiveness project is a woman called marina and she calls us story healers rather than storytellers and i just felt that from her so much and i bought her book from her which is an amazing book called if you sit very still and in it she had written now you must speak and i thought oh you know i could and i could write down my story i'm just going to write it down for me and the moment i had that thought literally it was like the words downloaded into my consciousness. I just saw all the words flying around my head every night when I was trying to get to sleep. And in about eight weeks, I I kind of say I vomited my book. I literally just would pull the, pull the words from the air and put them down onto paper. And I'm very lucky just in about three, four months later, I had secured a contract with a traditional publisher. So something did support me. I don't know where it came from, but I was very supported in the yeah. process. And quite often publishers have quite sort of draconian editing processes. Mm-hmm. How does that work when it's a very personal story? Well, I had worked with a friend uh, who had read the 12 pages previously. He also went to the workshops that I went to. So he obviously knew my story and I wanted it to be in good condition because my old mindset of, you know, leaving school with no qualifications, I bet I can't write well, blah, blah. So I wanted it to be in a good condition. So it was edited by him. And when it went to John Blake Publishers, my editors, they said it just needed a very light edit. They don't change any details. They just really put it into their house style. So it could just be from changing numbers to numbers and words or specific words that they say. Even though they say it was a light edit, when you get the document in and you see all their track, you know, edits on it, it's like, whoa, that's a light edit. I don't know what a big edit is, but uh, yeah, the the essence of the story didn't really change. Yes. And how has that helped you in your speaking? Uh, absolutely helped me so when I went to speak in South Africa it was because I was attending the professional speaking association it was their convention for the very first time and I sat next to a lovely guy called Paul from Johannesburg and he said what do you speak about and I had a copy of my book I said here you go this is what I speak about and he took my book 
And he was the one who phoned me on Skype to me January the 1st and said, you need to come to South Africa to share your story. And I went, what? He said, I've read your book. I said, you've never heard me speak. He said, it's fine. I have read your book. I know you'll be great. And I did. I went to Johannesburg and spoke there. Wow. So that, that is such a great story on the basis that so many sort of gurus teach that, you know, your book is your calling card and, and all that sort of it's thing. And, such and a good business <laughs> card. It really is. Yes. Yes. It, clearly, clearly it was. So tell us about how you look after yourself. You've talked already about you know having therapy and all that sort of stuff and clearly that's your background anyway Mm -hmm. but sort of your whole body your your mind how do you keep yourself well and energized I've always really uh been really really involved with exercise because many many years ago when that night took place I I very much left my body and I never felt connected in for years so I do as much as I can to ground myself I guess so I am back at the gym. I lift weights three times a week. I am back at yoga, which I go also go three times a week. And because of where I live, I have access to the hills. So I've been climbing Munro's every weekend. So I very much uh, exercise a lot, <laughs> well, maybe more than the average person. But yeah, I love to be out in nature. I walk my dog every day and I'm very fortunate where I walk, where I live here. I can be in my local country park in 15 minutes and see the Highland cows that, you know, is a beautiful setting. Yeah. And I can be at the beach or the hills in 45 minutes, an hour. So walking in nature and being physical, getting back into my body really keeps me grounded and nurtures me as well. Yes. And it sounds like that's something that you you learned quite early on in terms of your sort of recovery. Yeah, when I discovered that I wasn't really in, you know, I had it's like I'd left my body, but I never came back in, which I know I understand now when we're under extreme trauma, we have to leave. Otherwise, I would have died. I wouldn't be here now. And it's a very, very common experience for a lot of people that have an out of body experience. Um, but when I when I saw that, I did whatever I could to get back in because I realized I wasn't present. I wasn't really in the moment. I was kind of living life, but on autopilot. You know, I was yeah. this body, but I there was nothing inside. I was a a shell. So learning to connect and get back in, becoming very aware of my thoughts and my feelings absolutely has helped me. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I'm, I'm intrigued about is you talked about resilience. You talked about Mm -hmm. the um, organization that you've been working with. And I, I wonder with your background as well, how whether it's sort of helping or hindering when you do speak because when you talk to people who've had sort of trauma and they they want to then talk to you that I guess there's a real risk that you end up taking on some of their trauma and 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 it takes you sort of back or to somewhere else that's that's potentially an issue but obviously you've got a different background to a lot of people you've been trained um how do you how do you keep yourself resilient in those situations? I mean, you must hear so many stories about such I hear tons of stories. And I don't know if it is so much to do with my training, but obviously when I worked as a psychotherapist, we always had supervision. So we could always take whatever issues came somewhere. But I think I couldn't do what I do if I really wasn't okay. I would never, ever recommend anyone to use the stage as therapy because it's awful for the speaker and awful for the audience so I I know that I I can say things that are difficult you know I did a TEDx last year and it was called unbroken speaking the unspeakable so I I'm very capable of speaking the difficult things and I I couldn't do that if I really wasn't in a good place Mm. so that has come from as I said years of 
getting back to me, the me that I was before all of this happened. Mm -hmm. And cleaning up the mess, cleaning up the trauma, really. I kind of call it draining the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) And have you got tips for resilience for people generally? And I don't mean necessarily people who've had you know, really traumatic situations, but, you know, how can people keep themselves resilient? You know, we're in a challenging time now and it seems really chronic. Um, You know, it's going to be different for everybody, but the best thing we can do is to really increase our awareness, to really pay attention to where your thoughts go, what does trigger you, what gets you annoyed, and see if you can find a way to connect, to ground yourself, to even simply come back to your breath. You know, we always have our breath. And if we can connect with our breath, we can calm ourselves down. Mm. That's really all it takes is just to be aware and to connect and to be grounded. Mm-hmm. And what about your own sort of um, development, learning and improving and so on? What, what sort of things do you do to, to keep yourself moving forward? Well, before all of this, I'm always going on courses or doing something to expand myself. Like right now, I've got no idea how to launch my own podcast, but I decided this is what I wanted to do. So, you know, I speak to people a lot, but actually, even though the person I spoke to today, I've known him for a few years, I was actually quite nervous. And I thought, gosh, this is because this is something new. You know, when we do the same thing over and over again, it's very comfortable. So, even though I felt quite nervous, I thought, oh, what do I say at the start of a podcast? How do I finish it? Oh, all this stuff, which I should have maybe thought about before I started, uh, you know, but I thought that's good. It's good to challenge myself. So yeah, new situations are always good. And I certainly uh, was very challenged at the start of lockdown. I surprised myself. I, it was a lot harder than I thought. I thought I would really be okay because I am so resilient. And I had to go back to simple techniques like, taking it a day at a time, grounding myself, being out in nature, eating good food, exercising well, turning off the news before bedtime, you know, doing all the things I would recommend other people do. I had to really tell myself to pay attention as well. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it sort of comes in waves. I remember at the beginning um, of lockdown, it, it was, it felt shocking. And it was like, there were a few weeks where I felt a bit sort of spaced out, didn't really know what to think. And then it seemed to sort of settle into a, a bit of a routine and you know we sort of seemed to know what was going on and then every so often I just I'd have almost like a a flashback you know people talk about um uh you know when you've had traumatic situations you, it suddenly hits you sort of thing and that, that's what I felt like at the beginning of, of yeah, it was our trauma but it was also a collective trauma yeah. and all in this together and at the moment you know if there is an incident or if something we heal and that kind of ends but at the moment there's no end no a clear end in sight and as we're seeing every day every week it, we're getting different information it's always changing we don't know especially in Scotland what the lockdown procedures will be won't be so there doesn't appear to be any end but for me it, and it's what happened with everything when I when I finally came to accept I can only control the things that I control you yeah. know so that's really was my focus as well that that really helped me and I had to accept this is going on right now, but also I know that this will not last forever. Yes, it feels like it, <laughs> but it, it will not last forever. I have no idea how long it will take to be over, but it will be over one day. We'll always, I think, have to learn to live with this. It's not yeah. going to go away, but this will not last forever. And that keeps me sane as well. No, one of my um, Facebook friends every weekend, he's a bit of a historian and he, he writes stories as well. And he writes a little thing where I say he certainly has done for the last few weeks and um, about some sort of um, 
illness from like the middle ages or the big mm -hmm. times or whatever so he talked about the is it the St Vitus dancing yes actually I, I one of my friend's daughter had that oh really, really strange thing yeah ah. um kind of go into fits of movements yes, yes. She yeah. had it actually after a very, very high temperature and she had tonsillitis and she was admitted to hospital with it and she couldn't stop moving for about a month. Oh, wow. I didn't know it still existed. So he talked about it was in like the, I don't know, 1600s or something and people ended up sort of dancing around the villages, which in, in sort of mythical ways has been turned into that they were dancing. But it was, as you say, the fact they you know, couldn't sit still sort of thing. And, uh, and, this last, movements, yeah. Yeah. and then this last week he talked about um, the thing that killed Henry VIII's brother, which enabled him to marry Catherine of Aragon, and then you know all of that happened, mm. and that was some sort of high temperature, and lots of people died, and and all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting when you read that, you sort of think this has happened every however long in our history, but because we haven't seen it in the same way, it feels so like, it's shocking, shocking, weird, odd. You know, like how can it be possible? But then you look at it's history. Like, it's like then, a black mirror episode isn't it it's like a science fiction movie for us <laughs> you're right history shows us every 100 200 years there will be a pandemic there will be yeah. a virus of some description yeah. but we feel like we're so sort of civilized in comparison to 200 years ago that we just don't imagine that can possibly be true for us and yet here we are <laughs> and i guess that's maybe about getting complacent or just you know not paying attention yes yeah so last couple of questions. Firstly, what about those days where it goes horribly wrong? What do you do those days? How do you get through that? I normally put on my walking boots and take the dog out for a walk, <laughs> go stomp in the woods for a bit <laughs> or go climb a hill, have a bit of chocolate, a glass of gin. <laughs> that normally does it for me. And just accept, you know, tomorrow's another day. It's yeah. fine. Everything's always OK. Yes, again, that this too shall pass. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. And so what about, I suspect the beginning answer to this question is going to be the same. Um, what about those days where you get to live more, which is where I say you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't? What do they look like? It's just balance, I think, you know, having a good life and work balance. I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't depend on my speaking uh, business for my livelihood I have another stream of income so for me speaking has always been about speaking from the heart it's something I'm passionate about because I'm you know I'm really committed to ending the silence for a lot of people because I think when we don't speak out we hold ourselves back and every day I will be contacted by someone that's either read my book or heard me on the radio or seen a webinar now or a zoom talk and that's what motivates me that's what keeps me going because they will then share their story how I've helped them you know, open up to someone or write their story down. And, and that's that's what really it's all about for me. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Thank you, Madeleine. It's been really interesting talking to you today. Tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. Sure, you can just go to my website, uh, madeleineblack.co.uk, and I am on all the social medias. You'll find me all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 186, then you'll find them there. And this week, I just want to do a little public service announcement. The podcast is being published on Black Friday, and it's just a reminder, really, to uh, only buy things if you absolutely need them and if you'd have bought them anyway, uh, rather than randomly buying things because they're a bargain <laughs> um, I know we all do it at times uh, but it can be really tempting when you see something that's a really good deal and it's like a scarcity thing it's only on that day although Black Friday does seem to be about black week or two weeks nowadays doesn't it 
goes on seemingly for ages. In fact, I looked at something that we have been planning to buy for a few months and we were waiting to buy it on Friday because we hoped it was going to be cheaper. And I looked on their website today to find that they've sold out already and it's only Wednesday. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that uh, this Friday thing's working for me. But anyway, so that's the end of my public service announcement. Again, the show notes are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 186 and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more.